Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the HCV vidcast. This is episode five, a super special episode because we are introducing having a third member to our team um, to discuss this topic of um, alienation testing in market research. Uh, so without further ado, um, I want to introduce who we are and what we're doing. My name is Michelle Nigella, VP of Research and Innovation at HCV, uh, PhD in Behavioral Neuroscience. As always, I am joined by Catherine Ambrose. Catherine. Hi, everybody. I hope that everyone's doing well. I am the Manager of Behavioral and Marketing Sciences with our Research and Innovation team at HCV. And my background is in neuroscience and in business. And I'm very excited to introduce our first guest, drum roll please, our oh, very own <laughs> Allison Nikowski. I can't believe it's taken five episodes for me to get here. <laughs> <laughs> We're happy Hi, everyone. <laughs> we'll see how it goes, right? <laughs> yeah. We'll see if I'm invited back. <laughs> I am the director of uh, global research here at HCD. I um, focus more on the sensory and consumer side of our business. I sit in the beautiful city of Prague um, and handle most of our global research from a management as well as a development perspective. And I'm happy to be here. Got Great, time. we're <laughs> so happy to have you. Um, for those that are new, uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, and or sorry, the vidcast, and those of you that have been with us before, um, welcome back. Uh, HCD is a market research and consumer research house um, that focuses on a holistic understanding of the consumer using neuroscience and psychology in addition to traditional research methods in order to look at how consumers perceive, evaluate, and respond to types of stimuli that could range from product development to marketing communications, all the way from exploring new ideas to validating prototypes. We do this globally, can be done in person or online. Um, without further ado, we're gonna launch into today's conversation on alienation. Um, we're gonna first start with talking uh, a little bit to build up to what alienation is. Um, so what what's going on in, in people's lives with products? Um, products don't just stay the same, right? We're not all still using the brick phone, right? Very true. <laughs> and I think a, a big part of this is technology changes. Um, and as you see, we have these four um, points listed, but I think out of these four points, they all really go back to the fact that people change. And I think that the fact that we have consumers on here is really important because that's really the fundamental um, motivator for keeping things changing and keeping things evolving and growing mm -hmm. because you know, the consumer is constantly uh, adjusting to their new normals. Now, it could be that, um, you know, there's availability changes in certain ingredients. So there could be reformulation going on, or it could be that, you know, you're decreasing sugar in a product to try to improve the healthiness of it. Right. right. Um, but it could be any of those things, but, but it's constant in life. Things are going to change. Products change. We evolve. Uh, products evolve. Yeah, exactly. And to go off of that there, there can also be positive reasons as to why things like you were saying the the quality improves but you could also maybe try a new um uh, try a new software that helps to reduce the cost of something or maybe fixes some type of regulation issue or something so there's a lot of reasons as to why products continue to change 
I love this graphic here, right? It looks going from larger down to smaller, <laughs> and then we start getting larger again. It reminds me of the uh, the phone in Zoolander. Oh they yeah, the size of a toothpick. <laughs> and <laughs> now they're giant, sense. right? They don't fit right, in your pocket sense. anymore. It made sense that you know size was definitely something that was an innovation, and we wanted to go in that direction. Now, size and the importance of size is a little bit different, right? Because we think about how we're using our devices. Uh, we're streaming videos. Um, all of us stuck in quarantine right now are surviving on Netflix, right? And we want to be able to do that from any couch surface in our house, from our, our beds to our couches to our floors. Um, we want to be able to really have the content at, at our fingertips. And now size... It, it means something mm -hmm. different, smaller. The needs changed. Better. Yeah, exactly. So the improvement before was was smaller, and the improvement now is is definitely bigger with higher quality screen. Right. Mm -hmm. But sometimes when uh, we make these changes, a product makes a change or a brand changes in some way, there can be alienation, right? And that's alienation means that the consumer has felt isolated or maybe abandoned by the brand or the product. So some sort of change happened and they either didn't like it or they felt that it didn't connect with them anymore. Um, I think there are some really great uh, historical examples of that, right? So those of us that remember the soda wards of the 80s, um, New Coke came out and absolutely alienated everybody. People, you know, Coca-Cola is like such a, a brand, a loyal brand for people. I mean, people just really love it. Right. And when they made a slight formulation change to make it actually taste better, um, because they knew that Pepsi tastes better because it was sweeter, when they made Coke sweeter for new Coke, people were up in arms. There were riots in the streets. I'm not even joking about that. Um, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> people were very emotional about it because when you are very strongly loyal to a brand it's a very emotional emotionally driven loyalty right that makes sense mm -hmm. it's part of your identity almost to have this brand represent yeah. you and when that brand no longer you know met that perception that people had of the brand when it changed to taste more like pepsi um people were alienated they were upset you know so i think when it comes to alienation it could be a question of you know yeah will will the consumer notice the difference right is it a huge change um and how are they going to react? Is it going to be a positive change? Um, and if it is a positive change, are they going to interpret that as positive? Right. And why did they react that way? I think another example, Tropicana had something where they just changed their logo, right? And some of the, the sort of aesthetics of their, their packaging product for orange juice and people were up in arms. It didn't, it no longer represented what they felt that Tropicana meant to them, right? Right. That's so interesting that just a small uh, little change can can create such a big reaction. All right. Absolutely. I have a few favorites. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So under the Colgate brand in the 80s, they actually came out with frozen dinner entrees mm. with that red and white Colgate <laughs> logo on it. Right. <laughs> Consumers are used to seeing that on their toothpaste in the bathroom, not in their freezers and at dinner. Yeah, that does yeah. not sound appetizing. <laughs> <laughs> so then the question really becomes like, is it possible to anticipate these consumer reactions, right? Could you have anticipated that new Coke, a better tasting Coca-Cola would have created such an upset? Or could you have predicted that, you know, people seeing the Colgate toothpaste logo or coloring 
um, on food, you know, could you have predicted that would have had that sort of change? Mm -hmm. As a child of the 90s, I am personally um, indebted to Easy Squirts by, by Heinz, <laughs> right? The colored ketchup. Right. I put ketchup on everything and anything, um, on vegetables, on my mashed potatoes, on everything. So oh. I was dragging my mother to the store to get every single color possible of, these of ketchup. And actually this product did relatively well at first, but then that no novelty really quickly faded. And if you ever use the product, you know, the idea of it is really fun. And me as a kid that was driving that purchase with my family, it was really exciting to get. And then when you actually used it and all the colors mixed together with your food, it was just, <laughs> there was that disconnect, right? There was that disconnect from how cool and how um, novel that experience was to something's not right here. Allison, I have to ask, did you ever have the Shrek ketchup that was like green and it was slime looking? <laughs> that I, might be kind of weird looking to put on your food. Yeah, and that I was the out with it. <laughs> it was, it was, it was when you had, you know, you expect, you have this expectation when you're using ketchup and whatever you're mixing it with, like my mashed potatoes would turn pink because I'm, I'm, I'm mixing ketchup in it. But you, you have this expectation yeah. as a consumer and it makes sense for you, even if you're putting it on very weird things. Yeah. So that had a novelty thing that was fun. Right. Mm -hmm. But then right. ultimately it doesn't serve the ultimate purpose. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So you need to be able to make a balance, right? Balancing the consumer experience with the product change, because no matter how cool the innovation might be or the change might be, ultimately the consumer has to be satisfied. Mm -hmm. Right. And the, the change isn't always, you know, while we're, our consumers are constantly changing and we're trying to fulfill their needs, it isn't always driven by the consumer. Um, we've done um, some research where, you know, maybe it's a, a, a food product where the amount of sugar is being mandated to be reduced mm -hmm. a great yeah. deal. So going to about 10% of what the, you know, original sugar content was, you have to reduce it by 90%. We know Thanks. that's going to change. We know they're going to notice the taste. They're going to notice. notice. And then the question becomes, you know, we're reducing the sugar for a reason, they, we don't want to add in all these extra additives and, and um, different types of uh, sugar alternatives to try to help um, get that taste back. So it becomes when this isn't consumer driven and we have to make renovations, how can we do it? In right. Because you can make that change, right? You can make it. It's going to be, uh, we know that sugar is something that makes people like something, sweet taste, people like it. Um, but once you reduce that, they might not like it as much, but if you have the right communication to sort of balance that out, right? So if you can balance their expectations by saying, you know what, this is reduced sugar. We're going to prepare you ahead of time. There's a good reason for it. It's more healthy. Um, you can help bolster that satisfaction, right? That makes sense. And right. it, I feel like this ties really nicely into the, um, latter two, uh, reactions that we have on the screen here indifference and being uncertain because if somebody's uncertain they they notice the change but uh, and but prefer other products that maybe didn't change the sugar content or something but still remain loyal and mm -hmm. um with that example i always think of 
um, when iPhone actually changed their jacks for the headphones. Right. And I was so <laughs> mad and I complained to everybody about how I thought it was silly, but I still have an iPhone to this day. So right, it's, right. you know, it's so you got to be able to balance it. I mean, it was a huge change for people, but mm -hmm. ultimately they made that switch, right? Right. Yeah. And then it becomes a question of, you know, when we're thinking about this and, and we'll get into this a little bit more, but talking to our consumers and do you even want reduced sugar? And the answer might be no. You know, I see right. this as an indulgent. I, I see this as something that I can really feel as a luxury and I don't care how much sugar is in it. So that's not reducing the sugar is not something I want. I want that taste, but the change might not be, be driven by that consumer. So how can we really balance yeah. what the consumer wants and, and what the actual renovation might So I think might in order to, 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 to meet that balance, you have to understand the balance, which does mean you have to test it, right? So you have to understand where the consumer is coming from, what their experience is, and then also what their perception of the brand is. So you know, again, like using that behavioral approach, that consumer um, focused approach to really understand their expectations and their perceptions, right? Right. And there's different ways that you could go about that, right? So I see that we have an example of the self-assessment mannequin, which we have discussed in a previous vidcast. And, um, you know, there's also implicit on here to really help to, uh, uncover what the uh, product or the brand needs to meet and identify mm -hmm. the needs of the consumer. So you basically, you need to understand the emotional reaction that people are going to have. Is it more positive? Is it more negative? Are they going to feel more empowered or are they going to feel like, you know, really pushed off from it? Um, are they going to have the right associations, right? So the concepts that they get, the perceptions that they get from the product or the brand, what is that? You know, what are, what's going on there? And then look at that overlap, right? To make sure that you have product and brand harmony. So by doing that testing, understanding the words that they're going to use, then you can, you can really uh, make sure that you are still in that same realm, that, you know, the new product is still meeting those expectations or fitting those expectations. So let's talk about low risk and high risk, right? So some cases you can have uh, product changes that are going to be pretty easy for people to make, right? Um, or you can have product changes that are really difficult for people to leap towards. So how can you address those? How can you understand that level and then maybe accommodate um, to like, okay, you really want to make that innovation. You have to make that innovation perhaps. Um, what's the best way to go about doing it? Right. So I think a great example is, you know, let's take Coca-Cola and not Coca-Cola holding company um, as a large conglomerate of different brands, but, you know, that true Coca-Cola brand. Like when you see the Something, logo, what do you think of, right? Right, right. So when we think about a more low risk type of product innovation or renovation, maybe it's something like an energy drink, which they, you know, actually have done. It you know, it's in this can, it has the Coca-Cola logo, it still has some red to it. I'm expecting that it tastes somewhat like Coca-Cola, it might have extra caffeine. It makes sense for that brand. I can make the leap from my Coca-Cola that I get maybe at the, the fountain dispenser to something that is an energy drink that I might replace my Red Bull with. So Allison, you're basically saying that uh, the energy drink is less of a stretch when you're considering Coca-Cola as a brand? 
Yes. So that's not a huge stretch for me to have to make as a consumer. I believe it. It makes sense. It's logical to me. Now, if we were thinking about something that's kind of at the opposite end of the spectrum, if Coca-Cola came out, and again, we're talking about that brand Coca-Cola, if they came out with an iced tea, that might be a little bit larger of a stretch for me to take. Okay, it's under the Coca-Cola, you know, that red and that white and that cursive font brand. What is that? What kind of expectations do I have for this product? Right. You're sure expecting the taste of Coke. So it's going to be a little confusing right. that it's tea, right? Right. And even, you know, if you pour it in a glass, like maybe we have here, it resembles the color of Coca-Cola. So that product experience, yeah. while the product in a vacuum could be absolutely wonderful. Like you taste it and you might not like it because it's like, oh, is this just flat Coke, right? right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So how do we, when we try to make leaps and bounds into this, this, these different product spaces, and really diversify this, um, you know, our portfolio. The question is, is this too high risk? Does right. it make more right. sense to put it under a different brand name? So for example, you know, Coca-Cola, they own Honest Tea, they own Gold Peak and Fuse. That is something, you know, and eventually, and if these brands were, were new at one point. So does it make sense to put this under a whole new brand yeah. or try to make that leap and stretch when we potentially know from our R&D, from our sensory evaluations that the product itself in a vacuum without any type of brand on it is a really well-liked mm. and really great performing um, product. Yeah. But what happens when we slap that, that brand on it, that logo? That so changes everything. It sounds like the question that you have to keep going back to when assessing risk is the idea of if the consumer will be okay with it. Is that, am I mm -hmm. understanding that correctly? Is that's really the core Methla question? I think if it's, yeah, if it's too big of a leap for the consumer to make. So if, if the perception, uh, for example, if this, let's say it's supposed to be a really healthy tea right? Um, made from all natural ingredients, um, super healthy, like honest tea, right? Which is what honest tea gives us this perception of, of healthy and natural and all those sort of things, whether it is or not, who knows, but that's what it <laughs> sort of gives you. Um, but if you see Coke, you automatically think high sugar, soda, and all the sort of negative connotations that might go with that. Um, so if you slap that label on there, you might actually have people have a negative connotation, right? right? Or, you know, maybe it just doesn't like the healthy aspect doesn't rise to the top for perceptions for Coca-Cola. So, you know, that that's going to be high risk. That makes um, sense. I mean, even the name honest tea, it mm -hmm. kind of it alludes to that idea right. of being natural. So it's making sure it fits, making sure that the, the product is meeting those expectations. Honest tea has certain expectations. Coke has certain expectations or perceptions, um, everyone aware it, and, and making sure that it is actually a fit because if it's not, you're gonna have product failure in the market. Mm. And I think that's a, an important thing to bring up is that um, new market introductions, more high-risk products, there's like an 80% failure rate out there for that. And so some of that might actually be because of these perceptual misconnects, right? So um, the disconnection between, between what your expectations are and what your, your actual experience is. So um, how do you go about testing to make sure that you are, are meeting those expectations to experience? Right, so I think we kind of touched on this before. It's the idea of making sure that your 
using the right tools for the right question. And what we mean by that is, is really um, being flexible, like mm -hmm. it says on the bottom, to be able to be customizable and collaborative so that way you do have a full understanding of the consumer experience. Right. If it's the taste that has to fit, you want to make sure you're doing a taste test and not just a, you know, looking at the brand. But if it is something you've got to make sure that what the brand perceptions are, make sure you're doing a test that's appropriate for looking at the brand level. Um, right. If it's emotions, I, use an emotional tool. If it's concept-based, use a concept tool, right? Yeah, and to, to kind of go further, when you said perceptions, I think it ties really nicely to listening to the consumer language because mm -hmm. in terms of populations, you can really, there, there's really not that many limitations as to populations you can do alienation research with, um, but it is important that you do adapt your research to the population you're trying to target. Yeah, so. It needs to be consumer focused, right? Yeah. The, the, how you're doing the testing, because if it is about consumer satisfaction and making sure that you're not alienating them, then you really need to understand them and how, how they speak and how they use, um, which brings us right into occasions, right? So understanding mm -hmm. their life, their lifestyles, how they go about things, make sure it's consumer focused and not product focused. Because right, really address the habits. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And it might be that our, our renovation is looking to reach a new occasion that Absolutely. we weren't previously associated with. And understanding that occasion and those habits within that new occasion for us is really important. Right, right. So you're not, you know, creating a product that has no occasion, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then because if you did that, or if you, know, you make a change that doesn't fit any occasions for the consumer, then they are going to be alienated because their product no longer fits into their lifestyle. Right, and are, there are different ways that you can portray occasion perceptions too. So uh, frequently there'll, there'll be priming approaches that you could do or uh, context projections that are available. So there are different ways that you can go about kind of setting the scene for, mm -hmm. for the occasion. And then you just need to make sure that you have that brand harmony, right? Everything's gotta fit together. When things are cohesive and make a holistic experience, then you actually increase the chances of having consumer satisfaction. Um, so making sure that the visuals on the product meet the expectations, that the emotional experience fits the brand, right? So if one is uh, calming one and the other one's exciting, this is a, a disconnect, right? right. Um, so all these things have to be able to fit together in order to have that success in the market. Right, does the product meet the brand promise? Absolutely. So that brings us to the conclusion of our first vidcast with a guest. Thank you, Allison. Yay. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> Happy to be here. As always, thank you, everybody. Please visit the blog for more information on any of these topics we talked about. Uh, follow us on Twitter to see the latest news and science that Catherine tweets about. Um, join us on LinkedIn. Link with us. And please subscribe to this podcast on YouTube. Reach out to us anytime if you have any questions. Uh, we're happy to have these conversations and hope you will join us next time where you'll get to find out if Allison gets to join us again. <laughs> Until next time, everybody. Take care. Thank you. Have a great day.